week five for us as we've been going through the book of Acts um, and looking into the origin of the church, where it came from, what is our genealogy, how did we get to where we are, how did this whole thing get started. And I want to read, starting out in Acts 4 and verse 1, and then I want to pray over the word as we receive it this morning. Acts 4 and verse 1, it says, while they were still speaking to the people, Peter and John, the priests, the captain of the temple police and the Sadducees confronted them because they were annoyed. They were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So they seized them and took them into custody until the next day, since it was already evening. But many of those who heard the message believed and the number of men came to about 5,000. The next day, their rulers, elders and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and all the members of the high priestly family. After they had Peter and John stand before them, they began to question them. By what power or in what name have you done this? Verse 8. Then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, Rulers of the people and elders... If we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man by what means he was healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing here before you healthy. This Jesus is the stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. As we open it, open our eyes to the wonders of it. You're working in our heart and in our life. Holy Spirit, I pray that you illuminate it for us today in each heart as we have need. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So starting this morning with a question that, that may seem a little bit off from what, what we started off talking about, but I believe it'll all come together. Um, have you ever walked into a room and felt like you weren't supposed to be there? Felt like, and I don't mean like, oh, I'm, I've walked into the wrong, I'm, this is the wrong classroom. I'm supposed to be in history. This is science. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a room you were invited to come to that you were supposed to be in, but you didn't feel like you were supposed to be there. You didn't really feel like you belonged there. Again, even if you've been invited, you have a feeling that maybe everybody else that's in there is qualified to be there and you're not. This feeling like I don't really know what I'm doing, like I'm supposed to, but I don't really know what I'm doing, that I'm a little bit out of my depth. And it's not necessarily a fear of failure, even though that can be tied to it, or a feeling of being unable. Well, I've been asked here to speak and I, all of a sudden I can't speak or I'm afraid I won't be able to, but just the feeling that I'm not qualified to do what they think I'm qualified to do. Anybody else ever felt like that? 
that maybe you're going to be found out and exposed, that you don't really have a good, uh, as good of a handle on this thing, whatever this is, what work, family, church, life, whatever it is, that you don't really have as good of a handle on it as you wish that you did, and as that you assume other people think that you do. I, I read a quote from an author. He said, I, I, I just have this feeling that at some point there's going to be a guy show up at my door with a clipboard that says, sir, you are not qualified to be doing this. You're not very good at it. And we're going to we're going to remove it from you now. You're going to have to go get a different job. That feeling is something that we encounter in life so often that the mental health community actually has a name for it. It's called imposter syndrome. That, that I'm not really what I'm supposed to be, but I'm trying to be, but I just don't feel like I'm getting it done. They've labeled it as imposter syndrome. So the fact that it has a name should be encouraging to us because we can feel like we're the only one that feels that way sometimes, can't we? That everybody else has it together except me. Nobody else in here is worried how this is going to go except me. Nobody else is nervous about this except me. But the fact that it has a name lets me know that there's others who have felt that way too. That label tells me that that's something that has been felt by others. So I was thinking about this imposter syndrome. How did this come up? Well, on... Thursday of every week, my mind starts to turn towards Sunday. At the end of the day on Sunday, on Monday, my mind starts to turn towards Wednesday. After Wednesday, my mind starts to turn towards Sunday. And, and, and meditating on our text that's ahead of us for Sunday. And then wanting to, having the desire to be able to encourage you and, and build you up in your faith through the Scripture looking for the direction that the text is going to go for us. I, I start watching. I start listening. I start seeking him for that direction. You know, Lord, give me a way to contextualize this for who we are right now, where we are right now, and what we're doing right now. Amen. Give us what we need right now. So this last Thursday was not a good day for me. It was a busy day. There were some things that were unexpected. Had vehicle trouble. How many of you know that'll throw everything out of whack, right? You're used to having this many vehicles. Now you have this many, and life is a little bit more stressful because we got things we got to get done. And I'll remind you while I'm saying that, remember what I've told you before. Some of you have heard me say it. Some of you haven't. When you have a bad day, you can feel like you're doing poorly in life. And when you have a good day, you can feel like you're just crushing life. And I would encourage you to not let the bad days make you feel like you're bad. And don't let the good days make you feel like you are good. Amen. Deal with what's in front of you. But I was, so I was a little bit stressed from that. When I have things out in front of me to get done that are on the list, I want to get them off of the list. That's my personality. That's how I deal with things. Well, instead of being a normal Thursday night, I had a banquet I had to go to. Tri-County Banquet, Washita Union, Columbia County, the Golden Triangle. Aren't you glad to be part of that? <laughs> so I, get in, I go to this uh, banquet 
when I'd rather be getting other stuff uh, done, but this is one of the things I've got to get done. And as I'm sitting there, I don't know how it is for you when you go into a place, but I'm, I'm, my mind just has trouble calming down in a lot of situations. And so I'm sitting there thinking, well, am I overdressed or am I underdressed for what's going on here? I didn't put too much food on my plate. Did I, I didn't get any food off of my plate onto my clothes? Did I? Did I sit in the right spot? Am I sitting in an okay spot? Should I have sat in a different spot? You see all these things going on. And, and, and what is it really? It's I'm feeling like I don't belong. I'm tired. And so that, that's resulting in a lack of confidence, me being there. You may have never felt like that in a room. I feel like that in rooms sometimes. And as I'm sitting there, not really paying attention to what's going on, but thinking through that, because again, I'm, I'm in there with folks that, uh, you know, influencers and leaders in our Tri-County area, so I'm a little bit intimidated by some of them, you know, because they're higher than me, done more than me, been further than I've been. And, and as I'm kind of thinking through that, the, the Spirit kindly and graciously reminded me of imposter syndrome reminded me that there's a name for what it is that I'm feeling right now. And that more than likely, I'm not the only one in this room that feels that way. Because one thing I have learned as I've gotten to be around more people, interact with more people, regardless of their role, regardless of their position, their rank, their, their status, wherever they are in life, they're still a person. And people are the same. We handle things differently. We may have more success in some areas than others. But, you know, the old, if you prick me, will I not bleed? We're all people. So I know that there's other people in that room who are feeling that away. And I was encouraged by that. And then he tied it to the text for me. Because what is the answer? What's the answer to feeling that away? Not just, well, we all feel bad about this. So misery loves company. No, he, he reminded me of the connection in Acts 4, what we'll see and what we'll see throughout Acts, spirit-enabled Christian boldness. Spirit-enabled, spirit-empowered Christian boldness. Because in Acts 4, Peter and John have found themselves in a room that they probably didn't feel like they belonged in. They felt really out of place, really intimidated, in, completely out of their depth. Remember, in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit fell as Jesus had promised to give them power to be his witnesses there and to the ends of the earth. Peter preached a message 3,000 people believed, a community of believers in Jesus developed that was marked by community, by generosity amongst one another, by commitment to his teachings. And then we saw Peter and John go to the temple to pray as they normally did, observing those hours of prayer. And you remember the song, Peter and John went to pray. They met a lame man on the way. I'm not going to sing it again. <laughs> but you remember the man lame since birth, 40 years, the text will tell us. And he said, you know, hey, can you give me some money? Peter said, I'm not going to give you any money, but I'm going to give you the name of Jesus. Rise up and walk. And he reaches down and grabs him. And the man stands up, legs that he's never stood on before. They're strengthened. Life comes into him and he stands. 
And Peter tells him, he says, I don't know why y'all are looking at me like I did something good or I'm awesome. Let me tell you about Jesus. Because I'm the one that touched him. Jesus is the one that healed him. And then he begins to preach Jesus. And that's what we see at the beginning of chapter 4. He's preaching. And by the time he gets to the call for response, you know, we would call it an altar call. He gets to the call for response. The leaders of the temple have become annoyed by what's going on. And they put them under arrest. Peter and John under arrest. And still thousands of people believed and were converted. Even though the preacher got arrested at the end of the sermon, thousands of people are converted. And so they take them into custody and it says they kept them until the next day since it was already evening. See, they wouldn't hear it after evening. They were going to wait until the next day. So Peter and John are in custody of the temple police all night. Now, remember, this is similar to the group, probably some of the same people that were involved in their arrest and the conviction of Jesus that resulted in his crucifixion. So you could see how this could be an intimidating thing. So they're kept in custody overnight, all night. Which, by the way, is still like that today. If you get picked up in the evening, you're not going to have a bell here until the next morning. So y'all better behave. And if you get in trouble on a Friday evening, you're going to be Monday morning before you get hurt and can get out of there. Doesn't matter what you went in for. Yep. So hey, don't say I didn't tell you. Behave. And so the next day, we find that in verse 5, 6 and 7. It tells us that the rulers, the elders, the scribes assembled in Jerusalem with the high priest, his boys, all the members of the high priestly family. They've assembled in this room and they've said, bring them in and have them stand before us. You ever been called in one of these rooms where you just got, you ever had to go to an interview or something and there's like eight people interviewing you and you're like, what in the world? Why did y'all think this was okay? This is like one of the most intimidating things in the world. And then you look at who they're standing in front of. Again, same group that they took Jesus to, remember the high priest's house after they arrested him, same group. And they get called to stand in front of them. Think about this room. That's big time stuff. That's intimidating stuff. Surely there was opportunity to be intimidated. Why? Because these are the same ones that hated Jesus, that plotted to kill Jesus. And who is it that Peter's been preaching about? That's right, Jesus. So this is who he's standing in front of. And they say, bring them in. And you remember who's being called in. Peter, when Jesus was taken to the high priest's house, Peter wouldn't even acknowledge that he knew Jesus. He was afraid for his life and wouldn't even acknowledge that he knew him. John's there. John came to the cross. He was kind of in the shadows. You don't hear him, you know, say very much or do very much. This is who was called in. And they bring him in. And they've got the man there, the man who was healed. After 40 years being lame, he's there. I guess he's a witness. He's there. And they ask him, by what power or in what name have you done these things? By what power or what name have you done these things? You've been in custody all night. And now you get called up in front of this group of people. A couple of commercial fishermen from Galilee. You know, this would be a knee-knocking, heart-pounding, palm-sweating type of situation. 
imposter syndrome times a thousand, right? I should not be here. I am not okay by myself. I, this is not going to go well. And it would be like that if Peter and John were there on their own, right? If they had to stand on their own two feet, this would be a terrible position to be in. But here's what I would bet. I bet that sometime during that night that they were in custody, in custody all night. Well, think about it. That's a long night. In custody all night, either sometime during that or when they're about to be called in to the room. I feel like they would have remembered something, something that Jesus told them. He told them at least twice, a little bit differently. I'll quote one of them. He told them in Luke 12, he said, whenever they bring you before synagogues, rulers, authorities, don't worry about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For, why, why, why shouldn't I worry about it? For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that very hour what must be said. I got to think that's rolling through their mind because he told it to them more than once. Jesus said, when it happens, when this happens, not if it happens, if it, if it happens to come. He's like, this is going to happen. When it happens, don't worry. The Spirit will teach you even in that moment what you should say. So I got to believe that's rolling around in Peter's heart and his mind during that night in custody. So they're called in. They stand in front of this very intimidating group of people. These were the highest of the high as far as the leaders in their area when it came to the things of God. And they're asking them, by what power, what's your claim to be able to do? Why do you think you're able to do what you're doing? Because just like they would when they came at Jesus, they couldn't deny the result. Dude is standing here. He's never stood before. He's standing here. We can't deny that. We all know him. He's here every day. He's never been able to stand up before. Here he is Standing, So when they can't deny the result, they'll attack the source or the motive that brought about that result. What they tell Jesus, well, you're just from the devil. That's the only reason you have authority is because you're from that. Right. And so you can see that's the direction that this is going. And if Peter and John were standing there by themselves, what a pitiful position they would be in. But look at verse eight. Then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them. Then he was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them. Remember that word filled is like the picture of a sponge soaking up water when you put it in there. Just soaked in the Holy Spirit. He's, he's like, he, he. and again, we saw in Acts Two fell. They were filled with the Spirit. Here, Acts 4, then Peter was filled with the Spirit. You're going to see it again before we get to the end of this chapter. This is a reoccurring event in the life of a believer. To stay full, to stay soaked, to stay empowered. This is Peter filled with the Spirit said to them. See, the Spirit had told him 
what to say, just like Jesus promised that he would. And when the Spirit teaches you what to say, it always points to Jesus. The Spirit is not referencing even himself. He's referencing Jesus. And so look what comes out. He points to Jesus, the latter part of verse 8. Rulers, people, elders. If we're being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man, by what means he was healed, I want to make sure all of y'all know. That's a little paraphrase there. All right. By the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead. By him, this man is standing here before you healthy. This Jesus, the stone rejected by you builders has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. He's like, y'all want to know how this is happening? In what name we're doing this? Y'all remember Jesus? Y'all crucified. You should remember him. His name is Jesus. And let it be known that you crucified him. God raised him. And then verse 12, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. Verse 12 just lowers the boom on so many things, doesn't it? You can't read the Bible and say, well, I don't really know. I mean, saved, is that something you even have to have? You read the Bible, it's going to tell you. Well, but I mean, there's got to be lots of ways that you can get to God. There's got to be lots of roads that end up getting to God. You can't read the Bible and believe that. You read it right there, didn't you? Verse 12. You must be saved and there's no other name under heaven by which you can be saved. And just imagine what it sounds like coming out of Peter's mouth in front of this group. He's like, y'all crucified him. Now you're going to have to call on his name and be saved. That's a level of boldness I don't think we can fully appreciate. Right? He would have had to have thought I'm going to say what you told me to say, but I feel like this is taking my life into my own hands right now. This is the same group that sought to crucify and kill Jesus himself. Standing here amongst them, Peter should be outclassed, outwitted, outmatched. He should be. He should be sent out in disgrace in front of this group. But he's not standing there by himself. John's there with him, but they're not there by themselves. Because it tells us he's filled with the Spirit, just like Jesus promised. Peter said it. It was his mouth that said it, but he was taught by the Spirit. And the power there points to who? Points to Jesus. Look what it says that they saw. We didn't get to that part. I'm going to read it to you now. In verse 13 and 14, look what it says that they saw when they looked at Peter and John as they're saying these things. Verse 13, when they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. They were amazed and recognized by their boldness that they had been with Jesus. Now, boldness I found a great definition for Christian boldness as I was reading through this. Christian boldness is acting by the power of the Spirit on an urgent conviction, even under threat. 
acting on an urgent conviction by the power of the Holy Spirit, even when faced, and especially when faced with threats. So they saw their boldness and they saw it's not based in where they come from. It's not based in who they're, the education that they got in Hebrew school. It's not, it's not based in any of those things. It's not it, riches. They weren't rich men, but it's based in Jesus. Because by the power of the Holy Spirit, they are soaked in Jesus. They recognized that Peter and John had been with Jesus. Now, come on. When even your enemies would realize this is somebody who's been spending time with Jesus. This is someone who has been walking closely with Jesus. Think about what they're seeing. The ministry of Jesus that they tried to extinguish, that they tried to eradicate is not just continuing, but it's multiplying. And by the power of the spirit, these fishermen who are untrained, unskilled, uneducated are turning things upside down. This man, again, man never walked before. Here he, here he stands. It wasn't just continuing, but it was being multiplied. And here's one of the results of it, not to mention the thousands of people that he preached to that believed and became a part of the body of the church. And so they see this, they hear what Peter had to say, and they said, all right, take them out. We're going to deliberate. We don't want to do it in front of them. Take them out. We're going to talk about this. Verse 15, after they ordered them to leave the Sanhedrin, the, the group there that was judging them, they ordered them out. They conferred amongst themselves, saying, what should we do with these men? For an obvious sign has been done through them, clear to everyone living in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that this does not spread any further among the people, let's threaten them against speaking to anyone in this name again. Now, who, who does it sound like has imposter syndrome now? They're sending them out and they're putting their heads together going, what are we going to do about these boys? What can we do about it? The guy standing right here. Everybody knows him. A sign has been performed. What can we say about it? And so they come up with a plan and the plan is, I guess we'll just threaten them. We'll have to threaten them to not speak on this name anymore. And now this wasn't an empty threat. They killed people. They plotted the death of Jesus. This isn't an empty threat. They, they can and will back this up. So they, they decide this is what they're going to do. Verse 18, they call them back in. So they called for them and ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. After threatening them further, they released them. They found no way to punish them because the people were all giving glory to God over what had been done. For this sign of healing had been performed on a man over 40 years old. So they ordered them, don't speak in the name of Jesus anymore. 
And I love the response. It's like, I mean, y'all, I'm just going to tell you, we, we can't stop. <laughs> we literally cannot stop talking about what we've seen and what we've heard in Christ Jesus. Amen. And that's the boldness that you see there. And they, they threatened them further. More threats laid out against them. Here's what's going to happen to you. Here's, what's, here's what we're going to do to you if you don't stop this. And then they released them. Now look, because they knew these boys, they knew these men, who they were, but something was different. The Holy Spirit had given them new convictions, a boldness to stand even in the face of threats. And again, verifiable threats. They can back this up. And that's why boldness is a theme you'll continue to see throughout Acts. So when you see it, just remember where it comes from, what it is. It's acting on by the power of the Spirit, those urgent convictions, even when faced with threats. So they're released. What else could they? They're like, we, we can't really do anything else right now. Because everybody has seen this result. Everybody has witnessed to this. It's undeniable what's going on in the name of of Jesus. Look what happened next as we get close to the end of what we're going to cover today. So they were released. Look at what they do next. Verse 23. I'm going to read a little bit here. After they were released, they went to their own people and reported everything the chief priests and the elders had said to them, which included what? Mostly the threats. When they heard this, they raised their voices together to God and said, Master, you are the one who made heaven, the earth, and the sea, and everything in them. You said through the Holy Spirit, by the mouth of our father David, your servant, why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot futile things? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers assemble together against the Lord and against his Messiah. For in fact, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, assembled together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed... You anointed him to do whatever your hand and your will had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, consider their threats and grant that your servants may speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand for healing and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. When they prayed, the place where they were assembled, was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. So they return to the others. They tell them about what has happened. And you see their response. We need to pray about this. We need to pray about this. What did they pray for? They prayed for boldness. They had just operated in boldness. What are they praying for? More Boldness. God, grant us that we would speak your word with boldness. Threats are flying. P plots are being drawn up. Persecution is at the door. And if we're alone, we would not be able to stand. And they tell him, in consideration of these threats, grant that your people would speak with boldness. And then the place shook because of the power of the Spirit that was made manifest among them, soaking their hearts. Again, they were all filled with the Spirit. 
soaked hearts, boldness comes forth. Remember, Christian boldness is acting by the power of the Spirit on an urgent conviction, even when faced by threats. And it's Spirit-empowered. The Spirit gives us the conviction. The Spirit gives us the urgency about those convictions and the boldness to act even in the face of threats. That's what boldness is. I want to talk about a couple of things boldness isn't, and then we're going to pray. I want to pray along the same lines of what they pray. Boldness isn't constant. You see, they just operated in boldness in a room that was very intimidating. And yet, when they leave from there, what did they pray for? Lord, that you would grant us boldness. That we wouldn't mishandle your word, your promise amongst your people, that their threats would not cause us to be in fear, but that faith would rise up on the inside of us. Faith in your promises and that we would speak your word boldly. You pray for it when you need it. When you're worried about what you're going to do, when you're worried about what you're going to say, when you're intimidated by the room, when you're intimidated by the situation, you pray that the one who's on the inside of you would rise up strong within you and teach you what you should do. I do that every time I get up here. It's a little intimidating. <laughs> but I say, Lord, take the, I love the one quote, old, old preacher said, take the poverty of my remarks and use it to build up your people. I think about what it says in the Old Testament, that I wouldn't be afraid of their faces, but I would speak what you have given me to speak. In spite of sweating palms, you're still going to have that. I bet Peter's heart was pounding a little bit when he said that. In spite of those things, faith in the promise quenches the fear. So boldness isn't constant. Other thing boldness isn't. Boldness is not a license to be a jerk. It is not. That is not what Christian boldness is. Boldness by itself, you may say, hey, that guy's pretty bold. That's translation for he might be a jerk. Christian boldness is not a license to be a jerk. Christian boldness will never be mistaken for pride, arrogance, or meanness. It won't. It can't. Why? Because of the Christian part. Christ-like boldness, he was not prideful, arrogant, or mean. Christian boldness per Acts 4, what we just read, looks like somebody who's been with Jesus. That's what Christian boldness looks like. So here, here's a good test for you when it comes to your convictions. Because we have those. What boldness is acting, out, acting upon urgently my, my convictions. Here's a good test. When it comes to your convictions, are, are your thoughts, your words, and your actions geared towards defeating an enemy or seeing someone who was an enemy converted to a brother or sister? What are they geared towards? Just winning? Just proving that you were right and they were wrong? And obviously we have an enemy. I'm talking about the people. I'm talking about the people, because Scripture said we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. We do wrestle 
but not with flesh and blood. So my thoughts and my actions and my words, when it comes to my convictions, what I believe wholeheartedly and probably even rightly, am I trying to defeat an enemy or am I trying to convert someone to be my brother, my sister in Christ? Because we, we hit on this Wednesday night when Peter was preaching, he wasn't preaching, hey, y'all did this. You are so in trouble now because Jesus is exalted and he's going to crush you. What did he preach? Repent, turn from your sins so that they might be blotted out in his name and that times of refreshing would come from the throne of God. He's preaching this to the people he saw arrest Jesus and march him towards the cross and cheer as it happened. And he was preaching that they would be converted to brothers and sisters, not defeated as an enemy. Never forget, everyone is a candidate for redemption. Everyone is a candidate for redemption. So when it comes to our thoughts, our words, and our actions, are they focused on defeating or destroying an enemy? Or are they focused on converting a brother or sister? You see, Peter still told the truth. He's like, y'all ask me what name. His name is Jesus. Remember, y'all crucified him. God raised him up. Y'all rejected him. God has made him the chief cornerstone. Repent and believe. He's the only name by which you can be saved. Which didn't leave them without hope. So what's the motivation behind my actions, my thoughts when it comes to my convictions? And then when it comes to your boldness, that this boldness that you feel, what's the source of it? Where's it coming from? Because we can have boldness out of other areas of our life. Maybe it's based on our ability. A boldness based on my ability, based on my knowledge, based on my status. We can have that. Interesting thing about those ebb and flow based on which room you get into. Because there's always a bigger room. So is my boldness based in my ability, my knowledge, my status, or my Savior? Because the boldness that comes from him looks different than those other ones. And again, it'll never be confused for arrogance, pride, or meanness. Hebrews 4, 6 says, Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Our boldness comes from that position. I'm needy. He promised he would be sufficient. I'm weak. He promised that he would be strong. I'm sinful. He promised me mercy. And we have confidence that the one who promised is faithful. And we know it by the Holy Spirit that he has poured out in our hearts. The love of God that has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. How's he pouring it out in, the, in your heart if he ain't in there? Poured out in our hearts. So even... When we find ourselves in rooms or with people that are intimidating to us that I don't belong here. This is when it's all going to fall apart. This is when I'm finally going to mess it up. This is when it's going to end. When we have those moments, those rooms, those intimidations, that imposter syndrome starts to set in. Remember that the one who made the promise is faithful and pray the spirit for boldness to live and to speak and to act for the glory of Christ and the good of those that are around you. The good of those that are in the room with you. Amen. Amen. Andrew, if you're come, I want us to pray. I want to pray for us. Like I said, here at the end, because we're going to need this.
Christian boldness is something we're going to need. I don't know if you've been paying attention or not. It's getting less and less popular to be a Christian. We're starting to see what our brothers and sisters around the world have been seeing for a long time. And Christian boldness is going to be something that we need, again, not to defeat, but to convert. But because what we're marked by, just like Peter and John are in that room, they were marked by Jesus. They were marked by having been with Jesus and it was different. And their enemies said, what, what are we going to do? You'll see it later with Paul when we get into his ministry. They didn't know what to do with him. He's preaching Jesus. They're like, stop preaching Jesus. He's like, I can't stop. I'm going to keep on going. They're like, we'll put you in jail. I'll preach it in jail. I'll convert the jail. Well, we'll kill you. To live as Christ is to die as gain. You can kill me. That's fine. They're like, what do we do? What do you do? You cannot stop it. And that's why it has continued for so many years. And that's why we're here today in Arkansas under the banner of Jesus Christ, even though we're that far away from Jerusalem where all this was going on. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in it. And you said through the mouth of David, why do they rage and people's plot futile things? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers assemble together against the Lord and against the Messiah. You sent Jesus and anointed him to accomplish what you had predestined to take place. Now, Lord, consider what we face in this life. Lord, the threats may look different, but they're threats nonetheless. Grant your servants that we may speak your word with boldness and stretch out your hand for healing of all the areas that we walk into. We thank you, Lord, that we'll have, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the ability and the faith to act on the convictions that you have put in our heart. The main conviction is that the gospel go forth. Regardless of threats, regardless of fears, regardless of consequences that would come from that, that we would say, like Peter and like John, we cannot stop talking about what we've seen and what we've heard because it is life to us. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. You know, we never feel more like an imposter than when we're outside of Christ. And we were all that undeserving, unworthy, unfit, yet he who promised is faithful. And he came so that his enemies would be converted to brothers and sisters, that he would be the firstborn of many brethren. So as we're here in this attitude of prayer, my admonition to you, if you're feeling that away, if you're feeling like you are outside of Christ, like you don't belong, like you're an imposter, that you're just trying to get in, but it's not going well, repent. Turn, just like Peter told them, turn back that your sins would be blotted out. There is grace and mercy there available to you to be united with Him, to receive the Holy Spirit and to walk with Him all the days of your life. That eternal life with Him would start now and last forever. 
Don't finish today without Him. Don't finish today without Him. But come boldly before His throne of grace and say, I don't want to be without you anymore. And I want to know you like I'm reading about these people that knew you or even faced with death. They kept shouting your name because it was the best one they had ever heard. And they knew what it meant for their heart, their life. And they would not ever let it go. Father, as we get ready to go today, I thank you that we leave in peace and unity together with one another. I thank you that you protect us. God, you keep us safe. And as we go through this week, when we get in those rooms, when we get around people where we would otherwise be anxious, fearful, unsettled, that we'll remember all of those are based in the insufficiencies we find in ourselves and we find none of that in you. And you have put the Holy Spirit on the inside of us so that we would know we're your children. We have access to you and we can stand with anyone because all of us need you. I thank you that we'll go through this week with you in mind and others in our eyes. Let us not miss an opportunity to share your goodness, your grace, your mercy, even in uh, a compliment, even in an encouragement, even in a small help that we would be marked by having been with you. And I thank you for all that you're doing through your church here and around the world as this mission that we're reading about in Acts continues today until all things are redeemed into your kingdom. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.